The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Egin. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Morella Dibo. She's a counselor and clinical hypnotherapist. Since 2006, she has helped her clients transform their pain into their greatest source of personal power. Whether it's healing from anxiety or the wounds of sexual trauma, Morella's clients reclaim their right to thrive and their ability to consciously shape their lives. By training, Morella is a trauma-informed mental health counselor with two master's degrees in counseling from Columbia University. She's also a clinical hypnotherapist, an NLP master, an EFT practitioner, and Reiki master. Through her own personal healing journey, Morella has overcome deeply painful traumatic experiences and become the creator of a thriving life. She has full conviction that no matter the challenge, everyone can do the same. This is part two of our mini-series on trauma responses. After this episode, you will better understand how trauma responses affect a person's daily life, how trauma responses impact a person's ability to form and maintain healthy relationships, and how to create a trauma-informed support system. Let's get started. How do trauma responses affect a person's daily life? When someone has post-traumatic stress or you know they have the effects of trauma, it can affect every aspect of your life, right? And so for some people, it does affect every aspect of your life. So let's think about, you know, very extreme example of uh, uh, a trauma reaction or a trauma state, you know, what we used to call um, multiple personality disorder is known to emerge from severe trauma, right? So your trauma in childhood, um, it's now called dissociative um dissociative identity disorder or dissociative personality disorder, right? And there could be multiple dissociations, right? Where people kind of like enter different kind of personalities. They forget, like, you know, they have large blocks of time that they don't even remember whether they went in in a different state or a different personality. Um, So, you know, that affects every aspect of life, right? They might not even remember a whole block of their life or what they do in, you know, so it can be extreme in some of those cases, um, but it doesn't have to be, you know, extreme trauma to affect your life um, in every way. Um, even when we were talking about triggers, how every, anything could be a trigger, right? So it can, fa- it can affect uh, people's ability to concentrate, right? So it can affect your work. Um, it can affect your social life, right? So if somebody has... Um, intense anxiety in social settings because of their trauma, you know, then it affects their, their ability to have uh, a healthy social life and a healthy network. It can lead to isolation, right? Um, obviously, for people who have had uh, sexual trauma, it's very common to have um, issues in intimacy in their sexual life and even their enjoyment of sex, right? It can affect their intimate relationship with their partner. They may love their partner a lot, but they, you know, have a hard time in that. So there's almost any aspect of life can be affected um, by trauma, you know, people's ability, self, self esteem can be affected by trauma. Um, And, you know, and these, like, when we talked about the definition of a traumatic response, which is like, involuntary and automatic, right? 
it can come out of nowhere, right? So to give you some examples of clients and things that have happened, right? Um, someone can be all of a sudden, you know, having sex with their partner of five years, totally happy relationship. And out of nowhere, in the middle of, you know, being intimate with their partner, have a panic attack or burst into tears or feel f- really afraid. And maybe they never noticed that before, but it comes out of nowhere, right? Um, or another client who had a panic attack in the middle of a highway driving, right? And they were and they started to freak out and have a panic attack in a highway, right? Unfortunately, they got themselves to safety, but you know they they could have been in an accident, right? So it can also come out of nowhere sometimes. Mm, okay, thank you so much. Um, yeah, then what do you think? How do trauma responses impact a person's ability to form and maintain healthy relationships? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this is going to be highly dependent on the type of trauma that someone experienced as well uh, as the healthy relationships that they may have had before, or even while the trauma, you know, around the time that the traumatic experience happened, right? So um, some people may have had really severe trauma, but they're perfectly capable of having healthy relationships. It's almost like the trauma affects them. Of course, you know, it affects how they show up in the relationship, but the relationship itself might be really healthy, right? So they may have, you know, they may have conflict in that relationship, but it doesn't mean that the relationship isn't healthy, right? So I'm going to give you um, an example of of a client who experienced a number of different um, sexual trauma experiences from childhood and, you know, during her teenage years and then, you know, as a young adult, right? So this happened multiple times to her, um, but she's really happily married, right? So it, it does affect her and it affects and it, it shows up in, in her marriage in some of the feelings that she sometimes has towards her husband where she gets like really angry at him. And, and, um, but in therapy, she's, she's learning to um, separate, you know, how much of the anger that she's experiencing really has to do with the trauma. And you know, part of the reason why she has such healthy relationships, she has great friendships and she has a really healthy marriage is that her, her family, you know, there were some issues in her family anyway, but there was, there was a lot of healthy uh, connections there, right? And she had a lot of healthy bonds and healthy attachments with a number of people in her life throughout her life. So there were a lot of positive experiences, even if there were a lot of negative ones, Right. So, you know, there's like a resiliency to her where she has a really healthy relationship with, with her husband and her children and, and the trauma has affected her profoundly, but she's working on that. And, um, and what's happened, for example, in this case, the trauma really leads to very intense depression, right? So the relationships on the outside are, you know, quite healthy, but she on the inside, you know, can feel sometimes like I, for example, she might say something like, you know, my life is wonderful, but I am really, really unhappy. Right. And so, so trauma, that's one example. So let me give you another example of um, where someone's trauma is affecting all of their relationships. Right. So um, here, 
And this kind of connects with the conversation and the question about narcissistic abuse, right? So here I've given you an example of someone who had severe trauma, but they had lots of healthy relationships. So the relationships are quite healthy. Now I have another client who um, had maybe trauma that didn't look so severe, but it was, you know, kind of narcissistic abuse while she was in child, you know, when she was growing up, right? A parent who was extremely abusive and just like not really able to, uh, an extremely abusive in a neglectful way in a like, oh, you're going to be that way? Well, you're going to walk home now, get out of the car, right? That kind of parent, um, you know, who is, you know, that child is fed and clothed and isn't being hit, isn't being sexually assaulted, isn't, you know, but the abuse, you know, that kind of quiet abuse of, you know, kind of emotional manipulation, not recognizing the child's emotional needs, you know, that kind of attachment trauma and, you know, relational trauma for that child meant that she learned, you know, how we talk about the the fawning trauma response, right? So this person learned how to do everything to try to keep both her parents happy. And then her parents divorced. And so the one parent, um, like she took on almost this parentified, I need to be responsible to make sure that this parent is happy, right? And so extreme caretaking that becomes incredibly codependent. And so, and then this person then had some losses. So, um, you know, it kind of further fueled this very intense, I need to take care of everyone, right? So it's affecting all of her relationships. It affects her friendships. It affects her romantic partnerships. Um, you know, she... Every time she's in a relationship, she tends to fall in love with, you know, people who will kind of replicate either that inability to be present for her and very emotionally needy, right? So then she has to take care of them and she realizes she's not happy, right? So she's she's had a very hard time creating healthy relationships because every relationship has been shaped by these primary kind of attachment issues or, you know, that primary uh, relational trauma that she needs to work through. She's doing great. She's doing amazing, you know, um, kind of drawing boundaries and learning to find what she needs and what's really hers versus what somebody else's and, um, and not continue responding in the same way. Um, so, you know, the reality, and we, I mean, let me just let me just share a couple examples because we talked about the four different types of um, trauma responses. And I think I mentioned some of this already, but, you know, so for example, if someone has a flight type of a trauma response, how it can affect their relationships is that they may t fight a lot, right? They may argue a lot. They may be very defensive, right? Very accusatory or attacking, right? In their tone and the way that they talk to their partner, right? If people have kind of a flight response um, from their trauma, these people kind of check out in self-protection, right? They, you know, they may come across to their partners or their friends as kind of cold and distance or like they don't really care, right? Um, people who have a freeze response in trauma is that, like I said before, they may have nothing to say, right? Their partner's wanting to have a conversation and things get a little intense and like they go totally blank, right? Um, and they're totally frozen or just, and so their partner feels like they want to work through something, but the other person isn't interested, right? Um, 
or the fawning response that I was just describing, right? They, they feel like they need to fix everything, take care of everything for everyone else, right? So trauma can affect uh, interpersonal relationships and affect someone someone's ability to have healthy relationships, but it doesn't mean, just like I shared in the first example, that it absolutely is the case, right? Some people can have really healthy relationships even if they've had pretty severe trauma. To help you assess if your trauma responses are affecting your ability to form and maintain healthy relationships, I have a set of self-reflective questions for you. And these are just self-reflective questions, so please note that self-assessment is not a substitute for professional evaluation and therapy, especially regarding trauma. That being said, here are some self-assessment questions related to the four trauma responses. So the first uh, set of questions I have uh, is for the group fight trauma response so you can ask yourself do i need to have the final say or decision in situations do i feel threatened by a partner or friend who is assertive or independent do i find it challenging to compromise in relationships feeling like it's a loss of power or control do i see vulnerability as a sign of weakness do i frequently use accusatory language like you always or you never do I raise my voice or use aggressive body language when I feel challenged? How do I react when someone sets a boundary with me? Do I always feel the need to be right? Do I struggle to trust others' intentions, always looking for hidden motives? Then, if you can identify that you might have a flight trauma response, you can ask yourself these questions to determine if, if uh, your flight response is affecting your ability to maintain and form healthy relationships. So, do I often change the topic when conversations become emotionally charged? Do I hide my true feelings under the guise of not wanting to burden others? How often do I use work or hobbies as an excuse to avoid personal interactions? Do I fear being quote-unquote tied down? Do past relationships often end because I quote-unquote needed space or felt quote-unquote smothered? When faced with relationship challenges, do I often think of ending the relationship or distancing myself to avoid confrontation? If a relationship starts getting serious, do I find reasons to believe it's not the right time? Then the next group I have here is freeze response. So you can ask yourself, do I often quote unquote zone out during stressful situations or confrontations? Do I tend to be passive in arguments, not voicing my opinions? Do I feel trapped or cornered in confrontations, even if there is a way out? When faced with decisions in relationships, do I struggle to make a choice, often opting for inaction? Do I sometimes feel detached or numb in situations where emotional connection is crucial? Is it hard for me to initiate discussions or actions in relationships, waiting instead for the other person to make the first move? Then we have the form response. So here you could ask yourself, do I measure my worth by how useful I am to others? Am I fearful of asserting my needs because it might make others uncomfortable? Do I often say yes when I want to say no? Am I able to communicate my boundaries without excessive guilt? 
Do I often feel taken advantage of but struggle to voice it? Do I usually suppress my needs or desires in a relationship to keep the peace or please the other person? Is there a pattern of me being overly accommodating in relationships, often at my expense? Do I constantly seek validation or affirmation from my partner or friends to feel secure in the relationship? I hope these self-assessment questions can help you better determine if your trauma responses affect your ability to build and maintain healthy relationships. And by the way, if you haven't joined our free community yet, I would love you to do so. We offer therapist-led healing courses, live Q&A sessions, and reflective journaling prompts every week. The link to join our free community is in the podcast notes. And now let's get back to the interview with Morella Dibo. Then I would like to uh, finish finish this with one more question, and that is, how can someone create a trauma-informed support system for themselves? Yeah, it's a really phenomenal question, because um, that at at the core of you know you know how we mentioned community at the core of healing trauma is having support right and so having a support system is is a big part of of healing trauma having feeling like you have a community it doesn't have to be big right it could be just a couple of people and um and feeling that support is huge so how you create that you know one phenomenal step to start with is to find a trauma-informed therapist or trauma-informed practitioner right it can even be a trauma-informed yoga teacher right that can create a, a beautiful yoga class right if someone's feeling like they don't want to yet work with a therapist or you know they want to they can also work with um trauma-informed body work practitioners. So people who do craniosacral or myofascial release, these approaches that are very gentle on the body, you know, they're not stimulating. Instead, they're like really calming of the nervous system uh, or energy modalities like Reiki or bars. Um, So, you know, trauma-informed body workers can be incredible, right? And they can also form uh, part of that kind of support network. But then as, you know, someone takes it upon themselves to say, I really want to help myself work through my trauma, you know, help myself out of this trauma response with, you know, the help of a practitioner, they're going to start learning about, you know, some of these things that we, we did today, right? With the support, they learn more tools. Like you don't have to do it on your own. And sometimes it's so much easier. Like I, for example, I, I studied, I became a um, certified yoga teacher. I really love going to a yoga class because I love the container of not having to think about it, that someone can walk me through it, that I can just show up and they're going to hold the space for me. And that's what's beautiful about working with a, with, you know, a trauma-informed therapist or a practitioner or a body worker, right? So acquiring the tools and having someone kind of create that container starts to shape that, you know, trauma-informed support system, right? So then you start to learn how to use these tools for yourself. And when you start to learn how to use the tools for yourself, you're taking responsibility for your own trauma response, right? For your own. And then you can educate the people around you, right? A lot of what happens um, in in relationships, and I hear this a lot, and it gets talked about in sometimes in podcasts and sometimes, you know, uh, where it's like, you know, almost like teaching each other, teaching people what your triggers are so they don't trigger you. 
It's like, this is my trigger. You know that I don't like this, so don't do it, right? And it isn't necessarily about that. It's almost like saying, don't push my buttons. Initially, obviously, if I know that there's something that triggers you, I can be helpful in not doing that. But it's about, it needs to be about more than that, right? It needs to be about helping yourself know, well, what's going to happen if I do get activated? What do I need to do for myself, right? It isn't the other person's job to not trigger me. It's my job. It, I have the power to help myself, right? So I think I shared this already. Um, the example of the woman who's, oh yeah, that really, uh, the woman who has a really lovely husband who he is very affectionate, right? And he loves to come in and give her hugs and, you know, that's his love language. He's, you know, very affectionate. But she sometimes, not always, which is the tricky thing, she sometimes gets triggered when she feels like, you know, cornered, right? And so, and she says, but I love him and I know that I'm safe with him and I don't want to, but she starts to get triggered and she says, I don't want to tell him not to do it because I know he loves it. And I know, so she's there in this, but in this kind of really tricky situation because sometimes she does react and she's like, ah, you know, right. And so he then takes it personally, right? So they're in this really tense situation. And as she's been working, she's been doing beautiful work. We've used somatic experiencing and IFS and, you know, some writing exercises and all of that. So now she is taking charge of her own triggered situations, like her flashback reactions. Because what's happening to her when she's in, you know, when she gets triggered is she's having a flashback of an abusive relationship she was in. And so we we did what in somatic experiencing is called the flashback protocol, right? Which is basically when you're noticing that you're having, uh, you're, you're triggered and you're inside of like a flashback, your body's reacting as if it were back then, right? That she then says, give me a moment, right? Basically saying, stop, give, I, I need, I need some space, not stop in a attack, like, <laughs> you know, stop, you're doing that thing, right? It's the stop, I need a moment, right? And this requires kind of education. You educate the people around you say, and she had a phenomenal, we, we had her practice this. She had a phenomenal conversation with him. And she said, you know, here's what's happening. Those moments when you do this here, what I'm realizing with Morella's help is that I am having, I am getting triggered. I'm having a flashback, a flashback to that other relationship. And I know it's not you. I know it's not about you. I know it's about that other relationship, but I'm having a flashback. And so whenever I don't want you to stop, but whenever it happens, I'm just going to tell you, I need a minute Then I need a little bit of space. And so she started doing that and it's worked beautifully, right? So that's how you start kind of educating the people around you. And you're not blaming them for your trigger. You're not telling them, you know, you triggered me and you know, I don't like this. You're saying, yes, in this moment, I am triggered. In this moment, I'm feeling agitated. I need a little bit of space. And so then the other pieces, you know, she starts using her somatic techniques. She takes some deep breaths. She orients herself. You know, she maybe says, I love you. I need a moment. And then, you know, he smiles at her, which reassures that she is safe. And she says, of course, I love you. And it's just shifting the way that the two of them interact in those, because that, you know, the physical affection isn't her love language, but it's his, but she loves him. And so she wants him to have that. And they're beautifully helping her kind of not have that reaction. 
And little by little, that kind of triggered reaction is in extinguishing, right? And, you know, what I said to her is one day you're going to realize that it didn't happen ever, anymore, that it kind of went away, right? And so, you know, that's how you kind of like create a support system for yourself. You find the people who can help you, who can hold the container, who can help you develop the tools, the skills, you help yourself, and then you can start teaching the people around you how they can best support you. And so, you know, I'm just going to say, since we, we're going to run out of time here, it's beautiful. You know, I mentioned that I have a group um, that I, you know, for people who've experienced sexual trauma, particularly uh, women, this group is specifically for women um, who experience sexual trauma, um, cis women, so women who are assigned uh, female at birth. And, um, and it's really beautiful to have that space of community support and you know develop all of these skills together that then you can kind of go into your spaces and you know create that network for yourself okay thank you so much morella for walking us through these questions and giving such wonderful wonderful advice again and my um, pleasure yeah i want to thank everyone for listening to this and Thank you, Morella, for coming to this episode. And uh, yeah, it's greatly appreciated. It's my pleasure, really. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.